This episode is brought to you by ArcLab. ArcLab empowers your organization to improve your workforce performance through just-in-time, easily author and distribute training and digital SOP modules to your deskless workforce. Anytime, anywhere, in any languages. Listeners to my pod get 10% off learning design services. Simply go to artlab.io slash adriantan to claim this special offer today. Hi, I'm Adriantan, and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR Tech Market Map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping their sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. My guest today is Gaurav Chobi. He is the co-founder of Match, a modern performance management platform backed by Sequoia and Y Combinator. Gaurav has been a lifelong student of people management and HR technology. He is a former people and culture consulting leader with experience of over 300 people performance, pay, engagement and analytics client assignments across 30 plus countries. In addition, he helped organize over 500 people and culture transformation workshops with leadership and management teams in those roles. Hi, Gaurav. Thank you for coming on to the show. Hey, Adrian. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin by helping the audience to understand a bit about Mesh in simple terms. What exactly does it do? Mesh, Adrian, is a, a modern performance management system that fits the way modern digital native companies actually work. In layman terms, it's built to allow knowledge workers today to accomplish goals and get timely feedback that helps drive business performance as well as employee growth. You, you were actually looking at becoming a partner at your previous company. In fact, three months away from a partnership after being in the company for nine 0.5 years, that must be a very hard decision to make. What motivated you to just drop everything and make the leap of faith? <laughs> it was certainly a hard decision, Adrian, not just on my part, but for my entire support ecosystem, uh, which includes my family. But to answer that question better, I'd like to dial back to, to where really my journey started. So for well over a decade in human capital consulting, the kind of life where the suit and tie had to be surgically removed from my body every Friday evening. And uh, during that decade or so, I had the good fortune and the opportunity, thanks to my employer's Grant Thornton, to work on about 300 plus client assignments in the space of performance management, employee engagement and compensation and rewards. So you can argue that I'd largely been a one-trick pony throughout my journey. And literally that journey can be looked at in two parts. Pre-2016, when performance management was looked at as a way to review and assess employees and rate them and rank them at the end of a year or a period. And post-2016, when the very pioneers of this process, namely GE, Microsoft, picked this up and threw it out of the window and said, hey, performance management is much more about driving business growth and employee growth than just rating and ranking employees at the end of a period. And around that time, the kind of interventions that I was designing and rolling out for organizations started becoming very specific and bespoke to the context of the organization. 
And uh, while as a touch-based human capital consultant, uh, I'd spend a six, eight, ten month design and change management journey, designing very contextualized frameworks, rolling them out across the organization. When it came to actually make institutionalized in any particular organization, i.e. onboarding this bespoke framework and this bespoke performance management approach onto, let's say, a digital tool, what I could see was there was just not enough opportunity for HR leaders and business leaders alike to onboard these bespoke frameworks or performance management approaches on existing platforms, be those performance management modules on HRMS platforms, which are extremely prevalent, or even the more new age specialized performance management tools. For far too many of my clients, the tool was dictating and constraining the process to the extent where the intention was to drive uh, um, a, a new age performance management approach, but every time individuals had to comply with the process being run with the tool, it ended up being behaviors going back to the old, which was pre the whole change management intervention. And that's really where I started thinking there's only as much value that I can add as a touch-based practitioner, uh, where I'm designing a framework and I'm running multiple workshops over months and weeks and hours, but once the rubber hit the road and people went back to their day jobs, the old tools reinforced the old behaviors and the old approach. Around the same time, Adrian, I basically had the opportunity to actually partner with two seasoned tech entrepreneurs who were just coming off their previous startup that they had exited. So clearly with, I had an opportunity to marry my experiences and my learnings thanks to uh, the platform and the exposure and the leaders of Grant Thornton that had given me over the last decade with the legitimacy of actually building out a cutting edge tech platform to solve for the problems that I was seeing. And uh, the culmination of these two was just too big an opportunity to pass up. And therefore I took that particular hard call of saying, Hey, uh, I know I've been working towards this singular goal of making partner over the last nine or 10 years at this organization that I absolutely love and adore, but a few years down the line, will I look back and regret that I had an opportunity to actually solve for a burning platform and I didn't take that opportunity. I was recently reminded about this as well. There's a HR Tech founder in Singapore, Leong Chitong. He founded Engage Rocket mm -hmm. and he mentioned about the same thing and he actually attributed it to Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos had this regret minimization framework. Absolutely. Essentially, imagine yourself 10 years down the road when you look back. Are you going to tell yourself you regretted what you didn't do, or are you going to look at it in a very different manner, which of course motivated him to just jump straight in. In fact, there's a bit of similarity. He was also in quite a very cushy position before making the jump into software. But back to your journey, I think to find out from you that because you have seen all this kind of different performance strategies, management system, and I highly agree with what you said. When the rubber hits the road, it's like what I think one of the I can't remember his name. Everyone has a plan until he gets a punch in the face. And uh -huh. in many companies, when they're so busy, everything that they are supposed to do just will thrown out of the window. And it is, it's honestly one of the reasons why I gave up on career coaching last time because you can tell people to do the X, Y, and Z, but when they try to apply it, it never happens. So to the kind of strategies, the things that you've observed over many different companies, you mentioned about 300 over of them. What are some of the key essence that you have identified from this exercise? Are there any major surprises that caught you off guard? Truth be told, while I had 
first-hand experience of uh, working with my client organizations. But when we co-founded, we didn't immediately start writing the first line of code per se. We didn't take anything for granted. In fact, in the first eight to 10 months of starting up Mesh, we actually reached out and sat down with co-founders, CEOs, chiefs of staff, and also people and culture leaders of close to about 200 you know, modern hyper-growth companies across the US as well as uh, Asia Pacific. And uh, to be very honest, uh, it wasn't very surprising what we heard, but I'd like to share with you the common themes that emerged. Um, before I jump into the common themes, Adrian, the first piece that I'd, I'd like to share is what were the big drivers of change that we realized were actually making these organizations rethink performance management process as well as the tools that they had. And there was a common theme that emerged in three parts. Number one, the environments in which Today's modern hypergrowth organizations work are super dynamic. The markets in which they work and operate change so rapidly that it is only natural that their internal goals and priorities need to be as flexible and as agile, the dynamic markets that they're operating in. The second common theme or key driver of this change that emerged was gone are the days where the top companies of the world were built top now. Today's top teams come together on demand. They are cross-functional teams based on a mix of strengths and skills that come and attack the biggest problems or the biggest priorities of an organization and then disband and go back uh, you know, to their home bases. And the third piece really was the kind of year that we've had last year in 2020, um, which has really nudged everyone into re-looking at the way they operate as, let's say, a remote or a remote hybrid team. The aspect of not having everyone in the same physical space really makes people rethink about how do we drive performance or alignment in an asynchronous manner? How do I increase the visibility across a distributed team across the whole globe? Or even, let's say, in the same geography if they aren't really coming into office on a daily basis. So the th three big drivers you know, are the consistent themes that we are trying to solve for or organizations we're trying to solve for, which is very dynamic market environments and therefore dynamic priorities internally. The second one being how today's teams aren't narrow functional silos, cross-functional teams that get formed on demand and get disbanded to form another team to solve the next big problem. And the third one being this entire shift to remote or remote hybrid or distributed teams working globally across each other. Now, once you look at these three drivers, the common themes that really start popping up start to make a lot of, and the common themes that really emerge, and this is where I'd like to share with you the answer to your, your specific question about what was surprising and what wasn't surprising. And really the common themes that you can see are in three pillars again. The first one is how do these modern organizations define performance? There's actually a lot of consistency on how they define performance. Pretty much every modern organization that's building the plane as they're flying it around continuous performance management continues to stay deeply rooted in appreciating the fact that performance has two pillars. The what, defined by the goals, the projects, the tasks, or the priorities that you are directly contributing towards, and the how, which could be defined by, let's say, leadership principles or values, or even, let's say, competency frameworks based on different roles and career paths in the organization. Now, these two pillars aren't new. They've been around since the time when Jack Welch and GE pioneered this entire approach back in the 1970s. Um, but where you start really seeing the big differences or common themes that emerge are how these organizations actually drive or fuel performance on an ongoing basis 
and how they really reward for performance. In terms of really driving performance, this is where the big change from traditional performance management to continuous performance management can be seen. Not only from my experience of having worked with my client organizations, but these 200 plus organizations that we sat down and conducted these research-based conversations with. And that's where two pillars in terms of driving performance really comes around. The first one is transparency and visibility. So gone are the days where my goals would only be visible to me or my reporting manager and I wouldn't have visibility across the top priorities and who's working on what across my organization. And when it comes to this particular transparency, it's driven both by a reset in the mindset and the approach, as well as a reset in the tools that you're using. And I'll speak to the tools a little later. But the second most important part about driving or fueling performance that all of these organizations have been really focusing on or trying to get some rigor on is the rhythm of having structured conversations or a stru- periodicity of frequency of different types of conversation around the what and the how, i.e. around goals as well as, let's say, your strengths that are emerging. Uh, and that's where a lot of these organizations are focusing on manager one-on-ones as coaching conversations where the manager is trying to understand what are you working on, what would you like to work on, what are your current strengths that are emerging, uh, and therefore what's uh, how can I make your employment experience more meaningful and also deploy you in areas that will really bring impact and value for my business. Or let's say even having fortnightly or monthly leadership stand-ups or even team stand-ups to have quick conversations around what's working well, what's not working well, who can help who. Um, And finally, even using bigger platforms, let's say aspects like town halls or, or presentations to the wider organization to share where the organization is and where the organization's head is. So in a way, driving and fueling performance on an ongoing basis that traditionally was looked at outside of the remit of performance management has very clearly become very closely coupled with performance management per se. So transparency and looking at a rhythm of frequently bringing the right people together on platforms like team standups, leadership reviews, town halls, or manager one-on-ones was the common theme that clearly stood out in terms of what's happening with continuous performance management. And finally, in terms of fueling or rewarding performance, like I said, the third pillar on performance management, there is a clear indication or a clear emergence of the fact that yes, at the end of a period or at the end of a year, you'll use performance data to decide people's compensation, to decide people's promotions, so on and so forth. But what's really equally important is the fact that today's knowledge workers compensation, bonuses, etc., are really not a motivator. They're a dissatisfier. So you need to have that at a, at a competitive level to the market. But what you need to place maybe equal amount of importance or equal amu- or even more amount of importance on is whether or not you are through your performance management conversations through the year, delivering on intrinsic motivators, i.e., are you essentially recognizing people for the smallest of wins? Are you helping them see how their work connects to the bigger picture and giving them that visibility? And are you letting them have a say in terms of which problems they want to pick up to solve, which teams they want to work as part of, and definitely looking at helping them realize and achieve the kind of vision they have to shape their own careers. So the common themes literally that emerged were number one, the way companies define performance, there is a consistency on that in the two pillars of the what and the how. 
But the big change is the way companies drive performance through the course of the year rather than only waiting for performance reviews at the end of the period. And finally, decoupling performance conversations and performance outcomes and focusing on performance conversations to deliver intrinsic motivators for knowledge workers rather than only using performance conversations to deliver good, bad, ugly messages and compensation. The final piece that we also saw, therefore, was from a HR tech perspective, a clear unbundling of the HR tech stack where traditionally, say, the HRMS was that end-to-end platform that provided for your hiring from an ATS module perspective, your performance from a PMS module perspective, your learning and development from an LMS module perspective. And clearly, given the fact that the whole fueling performance piece needs to be driven by business, i.e. leaders, managers, and team members, and not just the HR process owners, organizations today are bolting on more tools on the performance management side in order to be able to run this as a decentralized process rather than a periodic process that the HR process owner drives as a compliance periodic form filling activity. About this continuous performance management aspect and specific to companies that have been standing on the other side of the fence for the longest time, because as we have discussed, there are traditional ways of doing performance management, the once a year big annual paper exercise versus what you have discussed, the transparency, the town hall and all that. Based on your observation and based on what you've seen, how is the process like for someone who has traditionally been in that annual performance bucket for the longest time to go through that journey to transform to what we just shared, uh, the kind of best practices that you're seeing in a lot of modern companies. Because I would imagine there's going to be so much friction, there's going to be so much pushback from a senior management who may be telling you, I've been doing this for the past 50 years. Mm. How is it possible for senior management firstly to get it into their head that this is the way to go? And how long would be the typical duration for companies to move from A to B? That's a very powerful question, Adrian. Truth be told, very often we feel that this uh, transitioning from traditional performance management to continuous performance management means that we really need to look at resetting the very operating system of our organization. But performance management practices on the ground aren't like an electrical appliance that I can you know, plug out my old appliance and I can plug in a new appliance and everything will be hunky-dory. So that's clearly the first basis where You can't really overnight shift from one realm to another. And there needs to be a much more planned and staggered or stage-wise approach to really going from point A to point B in terms of, let's say, only running periodic performance reviews to running the entire piece that I shared as part of my previous question in terms of really how do you fuel continuous performance conversations through the year. The good news there, though, is the fact that very often there is a, a pitfall that that I see organizations really fall into, which is, hey, are there best practices outside? Can I immediately copy paste that best practice into my organization? Will that make sense for me? Uh, The answer to that is both yes or no. Like I mentioned, even in the last five years of my consulting career or the the 200 odd organizations that we sat down with or researched, we found that The whole piece around performance management, irrespective of how you define your frameworks, how you actually drive visibility or run the structured conversations, the content of those conversations themselves, do have nuances around the unique context of your organization. And that's really where if you double click and look in and speak to the business owners themselves, you realize that 
even in the absence of, let's say, a tool to drive this in an organization, different parts of the business or different people, managers or different teams are already engaging in this in their own way, in their own small pockets. So even the largest of traditional enterprises today will have modern knowledge workers who are possibly, let's say, maintaining a Google Doc with their manager because they want to have that visibility with their manager and they don't want surprising messages at the end. So when you look inwards, uh, and literally the inflection point, Adrian, uh, that I see with most organizations who start to feel the pain or who start to take an organization-wide approach is the outcome of an engagement survey. Having run engagement surveys in 30-odd countries, I can tell you, yes, pay and benefits will typically be in the bottom quartile uh, of your responses every time you run an engagement survey because humans just can't be paid enough uh, and rightly so, to be honest. But now you'll also see relationship with managers, relationship with leaders or performance management as a bucket scoring. So the pain or the request or the desire to shift from only having annual performance conversations to continuous performance conversations has started to come from the business. So this makes the life of uh, people and culture leaders super easy because they're solving for something that the business is demanding. And what we've seen is even if there is not an organization-wide attempt, in the absence of that, there are small pockets across the organization where business leaders, people managers, and team members are already engaging in these practices and maintaining their own offline documents to do this. And that is where the great opportunity lies, where as an HR practitioner or a talent management leader, if I can actually gather the kind of structured conversations that people in the business are driving themselves and start to enable that as an institutionalized process, there's much greater buy-in and it's much, much easier to go from point A to point B. So it firstly requires, of course, a relook into your entire organization and also to bear in mind each of us would have the unique nuances within the organizations to push out all these right measures, which of course is going to be a lot of work. But having said that, I think we uh, can all agree that what you're able to achieve is far greater than the kind of effort that you, you of course, will be putting in. Now, the other thing that I just want to maybe tap your opinion on is what we are looking at nowadays. And this has been popularized and mentioned many times in the media, which is the great resignation. Now, why mm -hmm. am I talking about resignation? Because in today's context, there are, of course, still common reasons why people are resigning. And of course, one of the key reasons could be performance. I just want to understand from your perspective, how do you see performance as uh, a motivator or an attribute to people looking at whether they would stay or leave the organization, especially in today's world where most of us, if not all of us, are still working remotely? Firstly, I'd like to address the entire situation of the great resignation. And the more I speak to Mesh, uh, Mesh's clients and leaders in, in those enterprises, the more I realize that, and when I marry it back to, let's say, really why there was a shift even pre-pandemic to look re-looking at performance management from only annual reviews to, let's say, more continuous conversations. The big reason was that when you wait for a 12-month period to have a career conversation with a knowledge worker, there are many surprising messages that get delivered. So even outside of compensation, even outside of, let's say, the opportunity to grow in an organization, there was a scenario where organizations were losing their top talent because the top talent did not agree with the final review or assessment that came to them from their manager after an annual roundtable that happened. So clearly, 
from a knowledge worker perspective because they are driven or motivated differently. They are motivated by aspects like autonomy, mastery and purpose, which I can go into subsequently. There was already resignations happening because organizations weren't really delivering these messages through the period of time where the top performers could realign their performance and actually have a better outcome at the end of the year. Now, with the pandemic and with the, the entire world's become like a global village. Someone with the right skills, strengths and experiences sitting out of India could be employed by an organization that's actually a hypergrowth organization in the US. So the opportunities for this top talent have just multiplied many fold because traditional barriers like geographic preference or, or the functions that you fit into or the traditional roles that you fit into have completely disappeared when organizations since last year have realized there's a global talent pool they can tap into. More importantly, a lot of these skilled knowledge workers realize that they may not even need to be in continued employment. The gig economy and organizations looking at uh, facilitating short-term project-based retainers or keeping people in different geographies through PEO platforms like remote.com, etc. That's become a real opportunity without the administrative hassle. So clearly the opportunities for a knowledge worker in anywhere in the world has immediately multiplied overnight since the pandemic. And that's really what's accelerating the great resignation. But what's hidden behind that? How do we really retain these top performers? How do you really retain your talent is when you start looking at the intrinsic motivators. And now I'll come back to the piece on understanding the science of actually engaging, motivating and retaining knowledge workers and your top talent in your organization. Knowledge workers today want the autonomy in the elbow room to essentially understand what are the biggest challenges my organization faces and put their hand up to the big opportunities they'd like to work in. Traditional performance management simply can't deliver that. Only continuous performance conversations can bubble up these expectations and marry them with the opportunities in your company. The second piece is modern knowledge workers definitely don't want to wait a period of 12 months to be told whether they had a good year or bad year or here are areas that they really excelled on or areas that they could have changed. They actually want to understand how they can be 1% better every day on the strengths and the skills that really matter to them. So they definitely in every employment opportunity are looking at whether or not they're able to master a particular skill or a strength. And finally, knowledge workers today, even more than pay, want to be part of a bigger purpose, a bigger, the reason for existence of an organization or an enterprise. And, and that's really why you see, for example, for the longest time, these examples have been in front of our face. You can see the most skilled people contributing to an open source platform, Ubuntu or Linux, or even let's say Wikipedia, even though they don't get paid for it, but they're part of a larger mission or a purpose. So from that perspective, to answer your question, the resignation piece as an outcome of poorly managed performance management with only periodic communication or year-ending communication has always existed. The pandemic has made the global market open to talent irrespective of where they're staying. So they have that much more opportunity. And therefore, the numbers of such exits because of poorly managed performance have really accelerated. And that's really what's driving the great resignation, in my opinion, and what I learned from our client organizations. One of the things that I do understand from a performance management perspective, and this is something that I can find on your website, is your key focus is very much on OKR. Now, for people who are not aware, OKR basically means objective key results. And across uh, a lot of literature, there are also many other methodologies you can apply. You have KPI, you have MBO, etc. Why specifically OKR for you guys? 
the Mesh platform actually provides not only for OKRs, but any sort of goal setting methodology. And there's a reason why we work doubly hard to focus on the fact that our platform should allow for multiple different frameworks that any organization is comfortable with. Now, if you look at OKRs, as you rightly mentioned, objectives and key results, actually, they're nothing new, Adrian. Objectives and key results were pioneered by Andy Grove in, at Intel way back in 1984. They became super popular when Google picked it up and John Dewar kind of wrote that book, Measure What Matters, after he coached Brin and Page around this aspect. But very often we see that one particular goal setting methodology does not actually apply to every part of your organization. And this is where the, the specific one of the examples that or, or specific aspects of what I was mentioning earlier, that every organization has very unique context. So you may have, and more often than not, you realize that objectives and key results are something that only scale up to, let's say, the top two or three levels in an organization. Whereas the wider organization really needs to have the visibility on the company's top objectives and key results, sit down with their managers, and then irrespective of the methodology, ladder up their goals and say, hey, this is how I'm going to contribute to my company's OKR, to my function's OKR, to my team's OKR, or things to that effect. But why we also offer, if you look at, if you look beyond objectives and key results as only a goal setting framework and your absolute balance scorecard is something that's stood the test of time. Many enterprises still swear by it. There are certain organizations that swear by objectives and key results. There are many other organizations, not just in the hyper growth space. To give you the example of Novotis, they actually, as a pharmaceutical sales and manufacturing organization, which is a behemoth from an employee base. They actually have self-authored goals irrespective of the methodology across the organization. But what's really important is the other side of OKRs. Really, what does the OKR framework encourage organizations to do? Number one, an OKR framework encourages organizations to manage goals across the organization completely transparently, where any individual contributor can look up what is my company's top objectives and key results. What is my CEO taking accountability to? Because it clarifies to them where the organization's headed. And as I said, every knowledge worker wants to be part of a bigger mission and a purpose. The second piece from an objective key result perspective is the fact that driving transparency in the way that you manage goals rather than saying, hey, my goals are only visible to me and my progress on my goals is only visible to me is actually helps organizations surface redundant activities and actually align very quickly when these goals are changing given the dynamic market environment. Because if I have visibility on what, let's say, my adjacent team or a cross-functional team is working on and have the ability to quickly have a conversation with the folks there that I could help out on this or when can I expect this to be done, it just reduces the redundancy of having this traditional linear process flow where someone's setting a goal, the other person's updating it periodically, and what's happening in between is getting completely, which which slows down the progress of a business and certainly frustrates uh, knowledge workers because they then don't get the necessary credit for all the great work that they've done. And finally, even more importantly than transparency, the OKR framework actually encourages something called CFRs, which is conversations, feedback, and recognition. Now, if you look at CFRs, this speaks to the rhythm and the cadence of uh, um, you know, the earlier question you asked me, which is what's the emerging theme 
from what these modern organizations are doing around driving or fueling performance. So when we spoke about team stand-ups, when we spoke about town halls, when we spoke about one-on-ones between managers or other team members, there's a lot of more frequent conversations around, hey, is this goal even relevant right now? Should I drop this? Should I pick up something else? Which obviously cannot be done if there's no visibility or transparency around the wider goals of an organization or a team. The second piece is, even if your goals are remaining consistent, there needs to be more regular feedback that comes to you, not just from the manager, but from other team members who are either being impacted by your work or are contributing to your work. Because that not only helps you deliver better on those goals, it also helps you stay more engaged in the organization because you're able to see that you are getting 1% better in delivering what you want to deliver for the organizations. And finally, the recognition piece, which is celebrating even the most smallest of wins or progress on any particular OKR or goal or KPI actually keeps the fuel in the tank going for someone to start wanting to pick up bigger and better responsibilities. An interesting anecdote there, Adrian, is the fact that irrespective of how much you and I are paid, no matter how good our laptop is or the infrastructure I work on is, no matter how my managers and my leaders are, for a knowledge worker, their engagement on any given working day increases by almost 75% when they experience a sense of progress. And experiencing a sense of progress can be delivered in many ways. One, giving visibility to the progress that someone is making, let's say by knocking off an initiative under an OKR or by even moving the needle slightly on the metric or on an OKR or a KPI. Uh, It can be based a shout out or a recognition that anyone in the organization has given Adrian or Gaurav for something that they did well or something that they went out of their way to deliver on because they wanted to help someone out. Or even simply by having a conversation between a manager and an individual where the individual feels that the manager has really taken the responsibility of shaping up my career so there's clearly an opportunity for me to progress. So bottom line being, objectives and key results are great, but one should not try and only ascribe to the framework of objective and key results, not get too married or vetted. You don't need a PhD in understanding how to cascade objectives or key results. So just like I mentioned earlier, an organization can take baby steps from traditional performance management to continuous performance management, even in the area of goal management. So even if you have KPIs across your organization and they're well set and people agree with them and they're clear and they've been working for you, all you need to do is drive transparency and visibility around everyone's KPIs. But even more importantly, Add the element and the cadence and the rhythm of CFRs, which is conversations, feedback and recognition on those KPIs, rather than just wait till the end of the year to give a weighted average score on your KPIs and rank people to decide their compensation. I think the continuous feedback, the regularity of the conversation definitely plays a big part. Nobody wants to know what you did right or wrong at December for something you did in January. It just doesn't make sense. And of course, helping Managers especially, I think especially new people, managers who are agreeable with the idea that I should do a one-to-one, but I don't really know what to ask. I think having a, mm. s- some guidance, some structure on that would definitely be very helpful. And Gaurav, thank you so much for sharing with us your thoughts today on performance management, on OK goal settings, the CFI and all that. Where can people find out more about Mesh? Very simple, www.mesh.ai. And we've not only got uh, our website, doesn't only give you the features about our product and case studies of our customers, 
What we also focus on is something called the Knowledge Hub, where you'll find lots and lots of material to consume on best practices that we continuously keep updating. I think one of the things, Adrian, that really you asked me a question right up on the top uh, of this particular uh, conversation, which was uh, what really moved you to quit a few months before being admitted to partnership? Um, one of the ethos of the organization at, at Mesh.ai, Adrian, is yes, we are a tech company and we are deeply rooted in using technology to drive continuous performance management, but we're also deeply rooted in people science. So we do have specialists from a people science perspective. So anyone who'd like to chat with a people science expert who's wondering how to make the change from traditional performance management to continuous performance management, request for a demo and uh, you won't find a salesman at the other end. What you'll find at the other end is an extended team member who's a people science expert who's more than willing to share best practices that we are learning at this bleeding edge of uh, the performance management space. Once again, thank you so much for making time today. Lovely speaking with you and I wish you all the best in your journey with Mesh. Thank you. The pleasure has been mine, Adrian. Thank you for all the thoughtful and meaningful questions. Uh, certainly made me rethink why we started Mesh. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.